story of two boys. I always say that when you're reading a parable, you want to, first of all, be sure you understand the story. In this very brief story, it's a very short parable, just these two boys, and in each case, each boy has a flaw. There's a flaw in each of the young men. Uh, the first son too quickly opposes his father's will, as if the father's will was against him to go into the vineyard. And it's ironic when you think of the vineyard as the fulfillment of the Jewish history, the fulfillment of the people. It's a, it's a kingdom image for all the people. And so they would expect, but he says, no, I do not want to. Uh, I will not. And uh, so this boy is arrogant. That's his, that's his flaw. There's an arrogance there. There's a defiance. But later on, he changes his mind. That's the way the text reads. He changes his opinion. He changes his mind. And he does, in fact, go into the vineyard. I'm going to describe this boy from a story standpoint this way. He is a big problem at breakfast. <laughs> you know, at breakfast, they're getting all the assignments out for everybody to go. The father is being a patriarchal family. And the father is going to give the assignments. Mother's making the breakfast, maybe. And the father is saying, well, let's see, I'd like you to go to the vineyard today. And this boy surprises the father and say, I will not. I, and maybe he says a few more things, too, like, I'm sick and tired of going to the vineyard. Grapes and all the rest, getting my feet purple. I don't want to go in there anymore. Uh, I, I want to go into town and be with my friends today. Maybe he has a few things like that to say. But at any rate, he says, I will not. And... Uh, uh, maybe everybody's upset. If you have a person in your family that does that to you at breakfast, everyone is upset. He's a problem at breakfast. And it's hard on, it's hard on digestion and everything. And, uh, uh, but he's a joy at supper. <laughs> because he did go into the vineyard. Okay, now take the second. By the way, in all of our Lord's parables, the second half of the story is usually more important than the first half. The second half of the, of the story is more complicated. That's true of the great parable of the two, of the prodigal son and the elder brother. It's the elder brother that's the more complicated part of that parable. Well, this case, the second son says, by the way, the Greek is very interesting. It's just ego kuria. The RSV adds go in there, but it's, the word go is not in there. I'll go, Father. It's just I, sir. Oh, yes, sir. It's, it's very enthusiastic. It's very positive. I go, sir. Yes. And maybe this boy pours it on because it's a very enthusiastic answer. Maybe he says, yes, I'm awfully glad you made that suggestion, Dad. Uh, to go into the vineyard today. Uh, I was thinking this morning during quiet time, I want to go and work in the vineyard. This boy is probably very religious. He's saying all the right religious language. Yes, I'll go. I can't wait to go. Mom, put an extra egg on for me this morning because I'm going to go out and get a big sweat up. I like to work. After all, I know that we're working to make money for the college fund. Uh, and I care more about that than maybe others in this family, this boy might tend to be self-righteous because he says, yes, I go, sir. Uh, but he didn't. 
Now, let's describe this boy in terms of the parable. He is a joy at breakfast. Give him credit for that. He cheers everyone up at breakfast. Uh, He says all the right things. Uh, He's totally compliant with the Father's will. Yes, I can't wait to go in the vineyard. Yes, ego curia. That's the word for Lord. Yes, Lord. Oh, wow. Yes. What a boy. And uh, the father was sweating before, but now everybody's cheered up, uh, so happy. Uh, there's only one problem. He doesn't. And by the way, notice that the parable of Jesus shows no interest whatsoever in why he doesn't go. For whatever reasons, he does not go into the vineyard that afternoon. Uh, that means that this boy is a joy at breakfast. Give him credit for that. But he's a big problem at supper. And unfortunately for him, this is a supper parable, not a breakfast parable. (laughs) And Jesus has several of those that are supper parables, not breakfast parables. Well, now, what is the parable teaching? I want to make three reflections on this parable for us today, because I think it's a very important parable for a lot of reasons. I'll show you why. One, the parable shows that Jesus fully understands human beings. That's true of all the parables of Jesus. There's a sense in which they're agriculturally accurate, they're, they're socially, socially accurate, and they're interpersonally accurate. He understands what's going on in human beings. For example, he is not surprised that when we hear about his kingly reign, his, his reign, his authority, remember that was what the argument was with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what authority he had. And when we hear it, we might at first reject it. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear that there's an authority over my life. I would rather be the Lord of my own life. And so Jesus shows in the parable that he's not surprised that when we first hear about his kingly reign, we might resist it. It's not what we want to do. Uh, So he shows that. And notice it doesn't bother him. Jesus is not bothered by our arguments. It's just, it's not a part of this parable at all. The boy later changes his opinion, and he goes into the vineyard. So it it isn't that the father comes running after him and says, you better come, I'll tell you why. No, it's none of that. Or that somebody else threatens him and says, you'd better obey the father, that's good for you. No, he just changes his opinion and does go. Also, Jesus shows in the parable that he's aware that some people say things they don't really mean, or say things that they've only half thought, or are too quickly yet... Uh, agreeable, but don't think through the consequences. He has parables about that too. But this second son, he says what he knows the father wants to hear, but he doesn't, for whatever reasons, he doesn't go into the vineyard that day. Well, that's the parable. And our Lord picks it up when he talks to the crowd. The second reflection I would like to make about the parable, though, is that Jesus is preserving for both boys there is a lag time between hearing and doing and that is preserved in the parable the first son hears the will of the father and says i don't want to do it but there's a lag time and jesus preserves that and he thinks it through and decides to finally go and there's also a lag time for the first boy he says yes i'll go but he doesn't So between hearing and doing, there is a period of time, 
And our Lord in the parable preserves that period of time. By the way, that's true in another famous parable at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, those who hear my words and do them are wise in building their house. Those that hear my words and don't do them are foolish in building their house. But notice, there's a gap period between hear my words and do them. That and gap is lag time. You hear, after the Sermon on the Mount, the words of Jesus, and then you think it through, and then you put it into practice. There's a, Jesus preserves that. Faith takes time. There is a time factor in deciding. It's also in the book of Revelation. One of the most beautiful sentences in all of the book of Revelation is chapter 3, where the Holy Spirit says to the church, Jesus says to the church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now listen to the rest of that sentence. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and her and they with me. It's a tremendous promise. But notice the lag time. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It's not this. He doesn't say, I'm coming in whether you like it or not. And of course, I have a wonderful meal for you, but I'm coming in. No. Jesus does not do that. He doesn't crash our party. He doesn't cancel out our freedom. He gives us lag time. This is a freedom parable. There's a period of time between hearing for the first son. No, I don't want to. But then he thought it through. He did. The first son hears, but he, for, for whatever reasons, he doesn't go. But there's a lag time. There's a period of time that's preserved. And Jesus makes that clear. It's clear in the book of Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, we get to open the door. We get to invite Jesus Christ in. That is profound in the New Testament teaching on faith. Because remember, that's what this whole parable ends up with, Jesus talking about faith. The prostitutes, he said, and the, and the publicans heard and believed. They heard and believed. You didn't hear and believe. You have a chance to hear and believe. Now, the third reflection I'd like to make. This parable shows uh, that I want to ask the question, why did the first son decide? Why did his opinion change? And he decided to go into the vineyard. Something happened when he thought it through. When he thought about it, something happened that drew him to, to be willing to trust and to see that the will of the Father was good for him. Something happened. I got a lot of help from this from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, in his little book in 1944, he wrote a little book called Miracles, A Preliminary Study. And in that, he makes an interesting comment when he discusses the grand miracle, which is the coming of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The biggest thing of all is the coming of the grand miracle. And when he closes that chapter, he says this, with this our sketch of the grand miracle may end. Its credibility does not lie in obviousness. And that's interesting, obviousness. At the obvious thought for the first boy was, no, I don't want to have... I don't want lordship over my life. I want to be the lord of my own life. So it's not, his credibility does not lie in obviousness. 
Pessimism, optimism, pantheism, materialism, Lewis now mentions four other worldviews, they have this obvious attraction. Each is confirmed at first glance by multitudes of facts. Later on, though, each meets insuperable obstacles. Uh, each is confirmed at first glance by multitudes of facts. The doctrine of the incarnation, though, the coming of Jesus Christ, works into our minds quite differently. It digs beneath the surface. It works through the rest of our knowledge by unexpected channels. It harmonizes best with our deepest apprehensions and our second thoughts. That's why I titled today's sermon, First Thoughts, Second Thoughts. The gospel may not make sense to your first thoughts. It'll make sense to your second thoughts. And that's what Lewis is getting at now. Listen how he puts it. In union with these, it undermines our superficial opinions. It has little to say to the man who's certain that everything is going to the dogs. That's the pessimist. He hangs black cray paper on everything. Everything is going to the dogs. And then he meets one person that uh, is good, and that kind of disrupts his pessimism. So... Uh, but anyway, pessimism looks right at the first. It has little to say to, to the person that thinks that everything is uh, going to the dogs or that everything is getting better and better, the shallow optimist. Everything is better and better. Why do I need a savior? Why do I need a Lord? I'm doing fine. Everything is getting better and better. Or that everything is God. There's the pantheist. Uh, I, I, I'm a God. You're a God. Everything. And so why do I need to find the God? the Lord of all, or that everything is electricity. That would be materialism. And then comes this line from Lewis, its hour comes when these wholesale creeds have begun to fail us. And I think that's what happens to the first boy. He discovers something that causes his, this negative feeling to fail. And by the way, that gives us some hope for the second son too. I always like to think about the second son who said, yes, I'll go, but maybe that was a half-thought plan, and then he didn't go. But remember, the story's not over for him either. He didn't go uh, in that first day, but maybe he'll go the second day. Because every one of us are mid-story in our lives. We're all on the way. None of us are at the end of the story. We're mid-story. And so there is hope even for that second boy. That's why I say what Jesus said is salty, but yet there's good news in it. There is hope because you can change your opinion. You can discover something that changes your opinion. It's interesting, this event occurred on Monday. And during that very week, the event that changes our opinion happened. And I like the way Lewis puts that. He puts it in the same chapter. In the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down to the heights of absolute being into time, space, and into humanity. Down further still, if embryologists are right, to recapitulate in the womb ancient pre-human phases of life, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he created. That's Lewis's way of saying that Jesus Christ became a real man, not a phantom, but a real man like we. And he goes to the roots and seabed of the nature he created, but he goes down to come up again and bring with him the whole ruined world with him. One has the picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower to get himself underneath some great complicated burden. He must stoop in order to lift. 
he must almost disappear under the load before he incredibly straightens his back and marches off with the whole mass swaying on his shoulders. Or one may think of a diver, first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, and down through increasing pressure into the death-like region, listen to this, of ooze and slime and old decay. How do you like that as a description of white-collar crime? Ooze or adultery, ooze and slime and old decay. But then, back up again, back into color and light, his lungs almost bursting till suddenly he breaks surface, holding in his hand the dripping, precious thing he went down to recover. How do you like that as a description of yourself? We don't particularly like the ooze, slime, and old decay, but how about being the dripping, precious thing that God went down to recover? Now comes a great line. The last line in this wonderful parable by Lewis is, he and it are both colored now that they have come back up into the light. Down below, in the dark, he lost his color too. And that will happen this very week when this argument occurred, this parable occurred. Jesus Christ will win the victory against sin and death and the power of evil by absorbing those very things. And that will happen at the cross. He will pay the price. He will disarm the power of evil by taking it. He will disarm the power of death by taking it. And he will disarm the power of evil by taking it. And that's the good news. And when that occurs to us, and when we see it, we change our opinion. That's what happened to the first boy. He changed his opinion. And we can too. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great text, so short, so to the point, and yet for us. Bless us, bless us in our lag time that we can make the decisions that are life-changing. In Christ's name we pray, amen.